Okay, good morning, everybody. Welcome to our third uh, lockdown two Saturday on the bus of Academic Archers. Again, thank you everybody that's donated. It's so generous. It's um, incredible. It really is. That support really helps us. And to those of you that have bought conference tickets and bought the conference ticket at a level where that will go into a donation to help support some free places. I mean, my socks are literally blown off at that generosity. It is amazing. Thank you so much. And we already have a little list forming of those that could really help. And even though we're going to do things by Zoom, there is still costs to this conference. <laughs> one day we'll find a way to do it very cheaply. It wasn't the one that we did on the first on the fly, but um, <laughs> there you go. So I'm recording this now. It will go out in the podcast. Um, and a few people were asking in the chat last week whether we could record the chat. Um, and I don't because there are some things sort of shared in that that wouldn't want to be going sort of public, as it were. But... Uh, keep on that chat because it's really great fun. We've got the same format as last week. We've got one um, uh, paper and then we'll open up to some chat. Um, and I will hand over to Nicola now to uh, make our introductions to our speaker today. Good morning, everybody. Um, oh, I haven't done as much this week because I think you all know Karen. Um, never uh, uncontroversial, always introducing us to new potential sexual practices for all the people of the village. Um, Karen, did you join us in, you were in, you were, you joined us for Sheffield, you weren't at the British Library, were you, Pat? Silence. Lou, you were a Sheffield yeah. arrival. I, Sheffield was my first one. I watched the British Library with awe and went, oh my God, I have to go to that. <laughs> and, and yes, so Karen, full disclosure, put on her Facebook this week, the, the good things from 2020 and academic archers reading was up there and god weren't we all lucky to have got together before this unpleasantness descended i mean we i mean we couldn't have known then what we know now but it was the you know getting it getting our laughs in in reading turned out to be very important so yes how could i forget that it was indeed sheffield because i seem to remember you teamed up fairly quickly with um anyone that wanted to be in the bar late so we all we knew that you were definitely going to be one of us and the same happened again i believe it was a bit of a love thing between you and mr gilday when you met in reading as well so um the the areas that Karen has expertise in, I mean, there's nothing that's not sensitive, is there, Karen? I mean, <laughs> like, it's your expertise ranges through gender identity, sexual identity, just just the easy stuff then. And also, I don't think everybody knows that in lockdown, Karen's been um, pioneering walking therapy. And I tell you what, even just work-wise, I had a particularly tricky professor that I worked with for years, Kari, you know him. And we used to always do our best meetings when we didn't have to be face to face. You know, if we were rushing to, a, to a, some far flung part of Oxford, we would actually sort out the, you know, the whole really, really meaty things about budget and, you know, really big decisions because we weren't in that much. Whereas if we sat face to face, we just couldn't agree on anything. Whereas when we were facing it out together, it's a little bit of a cliche. So I'm very interested in how that's all going, that walking therapy, I think that's brilliant. We'll so, have, to have a big long chat about it. it it's really interesting. Yeah, I, it's, I, I, eye contact is a threat signal, and we're obsessed with it. 
but not being able to look at someone when you're talking about difficult stuff is yeah. actually makes people feel safer. I think that's right. And I mean, who hasn't had a car journey where suddenly it's like, as easy as a talk because you're not facing one another, you know, sometimes. Right. Um, so just all the love there is for academic archer Karen. And um, I would I have got a bit of a treat next week. So we weren't sure if we were going to keep going. But let's face it, tier three looks just like bloody lockdown. So if you're not, if you haven't got anywhere to be, although clearly you can go to shops because, you know, the virus is uh, doesn't transmit when there's a card machine present. But if you see members of your family, then it's rampant. I, apparently there's science, you know. The, uh, the ability to pay by Wi-Fi neutralizes the uh, germs, apparently, because you can. Uh, anyway, sorry, I, I'm teasing. Um, next week we're going to have the amazing uh, Margaret Bartlett from Reading again. Her stuff about the ontological position of the of the silence has us all roaring with laughter, and um, in order in, in order to join. Um, uh Maggie's she was worried that she didn't have a whole hour and I was like oh yes you do <laughs> so anyway so she's coming but uh also coming is Hedley Nicholas who is Kathy so we're going to hear from Kathy about the process of going from being a main cast member into that position of ontological insecurity that Maggie described so well because you know there aren't very many examples of a main cast member um, just going silent and I think we, we talked about this last week that um, she was very forthright on Dumpty Dum how she wasn't given an ending and she thought that was a bit off and uh, so anyway that'll be next week's uh, fun and games so do join us if um, if you are interested in that say so I think it'd be fabulous but this week uh, I can't remember the full title but it's on psychological types in the village isn't it Karen over to you Okay, thank you, Nicholas, so much. Now I'm going to, for totally insane reasons, probably to do with, you know, none of us have got enough brain space. I've decided to try doing this on Canva instead of how I normally do it. So I'm desperately hoping that this works. Let's, let's use a new, a new tool when we're doing a presentation to a whole group of people. Go on, let's present standard okay that looks like things are happening can people see the slides brilliant okay so this came out of a, a discussion in the prefects group actually which i think is really lovely because there's something really meta about that but i'm now presenting in the the group about the group we're doing for lockdown in the group that we did during lockdown. So ideas are coming in. I've called it INFJ or Leo. And it's looking at it, psychological types and the archers. And we're going to have a look at some of the different ideas that exist. But first, I want to start with a health warning. So I'm a Leo. And that means... Apologies for this. I'm just trying to get rid of that. I've got something in front of what I need to read. There. That means I'm characterized by my highly ambitious, 
nature. I'm honest and slightly stubborn. I confront life head on. I strive to reach new levels of success constantly. I'm goal orientated and more than willing to put the effort to reach my goals. I mean, it's brilliant. I'll take all of those. I am also, for those who know anything about Chinese horoscopes, a gold pig. Um, the way the Chinese horoscopes work is there are four elements that combine with the 12 animals. So you get like this really big, long um, cycle. And the elements, are, a lot of people will know which animal they are, but they won't be as aware of the element. And they're actually quite important. So, for example, 1966, well, post Chinese New Year, February, was um, Fire Horse, which is Fire Horse really sort of strong and passionate and fiery, as you might see from the name, but considered to be incredibly bad for to be a, a woman born as a fire horse. And there's still in Japan and China a, a cohort of unmarried women who were born in 1966 because um, astrologically speaking, it's just considered to be a really, really bad and one for anyone assigned female at birth. So what does a gold pig mean? I'm assertive, but also structured. I can do great accomplishments and I'm passionate and determined, rarely indecisive, firm in my opinions, hardworking, fighting fiercely for social justice. Pigs are often associated with um, maternity and the gold pig is in some ways the, the ideal mother within Chinese iconography because the household will always be nurtured, will always have enough food, will always, you know, you'll always keep a roof over their heads. These are all really wonderful things and I claim every single one of them. Why am I starting a thing about psychological types talking about astrology? Because pretty much with, as with, your Western star signs or your Chinese horoscopes, you have to take it all with a pinch of salt. You're going to love the things that you feel describe you well. You're going to skate over the stuff you don't think describes you very well. And an awful lot of the various tests out there claiming they're going to tell you who you are, what your job should be, you're ideally cut out for X, Y, and Z, have little to no scientific basis. I, Because it's gone on the podcast, I'm not going to mention the name of the one which I'm an INFP for, but I don't know if people know the background to it. It was invented by two women who had very little formal training, which is not to dismiss that there were other ways into things, but they just made it up after reading Young. There's no basis to it whatsoever. Um, and what's worrying is sometimes people will do a psychological test, say, ah, well, these are my weaknesses. What can I do? It's written in the stars that I am this type of person or I am that type of person. And that can be quite, you know, negative for someone. One of the one of the things we did in my first week training to be a counsellor is we did all the tests. So we did Myers-Briggs, we did Belbin, which I'm going to go on and talk about 
we we did several others and a couple of weeks in we actually sort of cornered our tutor and said hang on because you're teaching us about the complexity of human nature why did you make us do all those and she said oh we weren't interested in the results we wanted to see what you thought of the results it, it was completely an observational process and often that's that's the most useful way to approach any psychological testing. What do you think when you get the results? What does it bring up for you? Does it make you think, oh, that's touched a sore nerve. It said I, said I could be a bit stubborn. Does it make you think, well, that's completely wrong. What happened for me to get those results? Slight disclaimer on the disclaimer here. Obviously this, this doesn't apply to actual standardized tests like the GAD, that's the test for generalized anxiety disorder, or the PHQ-9, which measures depression, and the Edinburgh scale, which is very often used for postnatal depression. Those huge standardized tests have been used with hundreds of thousands of people they're not telling you your psychological type. They're a very different thing. They're saying on average, people who get this result on this test have a higher risk of suicide or higher risk of suffering from anxiety. They're diagnostic rather than descriptive. So I see those going on in the chat, but I will resist looking. So, so with all of that disclaimer, some tests are better than worse, better or worse than others. And one of the ones that I was really interested in for Ambridge was Belbin. Belbin has been peer reviewed and has, you know, it was based on an awful lot of quantitative research. He suggested that by understanding your role within a particular team, you can develop your strengths and manage your weaknesses as a team member and improve how you contribute to the team. So again, rather than saying, you know, you are this or you are that, it's like, these are your strengths, these are your weaknesses, and you can work on those. It's also really useful if you're trying to put a team together because it, it isn't that there are perfect team members everybody has a strength everybody has a weakness and how those integrate is a really useful way of thinking about things so team leaders and team development practitioners often use belbin to help them create more balanced team teams teams can become unbalanced if all team members have a similar style of behavior or team roles and i think we've all we've all come across te a team where everybody works the same way and it doesn't work even if their individual way of working is perfectly fine if team members have similar weaknesses the team as a whole may tend to have that weakness if they have similar strengths sometimes they can compete well and cooperate for team tasks and responsibility because they know what their strength is and everyone wants to be doing that thing so the team roles are based on observed behavior and interpersonal styles. And how it normally works is that you take a test and it tells you which one you are. And it's divided into three broad groups. You've got thinking roles, action roles, and people roles. 
and this can be quite a useful way as well if you don't have a large team of thinking okay have we covered all three of those which even with three or four people you'd be thinking about because if you're all thinking it's that idea you know you'll spend your head in the clouds but nothing will get done if you're all action who's actually going to think on the short medium and long term if you're all great with people you'll all be out there doing excellent interpersonal stuff but what about the concrete tasks that need to be achieved so even just thinking of those three bases can be really useful so what are the different roles whilst belbin suggests that people tend to adopt a particular team role we've got to bear in mind that your behavior and your interpersonal style within a team is to some extent dependent on the situation it it relates not only to your natural working style but also to your interrelationships with others and you can have primary and secondary belbin roles i'm i'm a plant i'm such a plant that I could be used as an example of this is what it's like to have a plant on your team. Um, plants are compared to dandelions. You blow on us and seeds go in 50 million directions. Kind of necessary, but you do not want to leave me in charge of anything. If I did, you'd come back after a month and find that I'd opened a crash for drunken squirrels. I probably had a really, really good explanation of why the world really needed a crash for drunken squirrels. But I'm also quite good with people roles. You know, I'm a good team worker. So I have my primary and my secondary. And within a team, those things can work together so long as you're aware of what the weaknesses are. So remembering that the people on a team might behave and interact differently in different teams or when the membership of the team changes is also important so and that's the before we go on to looking at this in an average context there are other approaches this is just one of them some of them will complement this and, and some of those will conflict with it but i mean it's like any of these you know there has to just be a modicum of common sense and say no one is ever totally, you know, just this small box we want to put them into. So so what are the nine Belbin team roles? And what is the strength and weakness of each? And remember here, weakness is the word used, but Belbin very much so is everybody has one. And knowing about our weaknesses is a way that we can be aware of them, work with them work with other people with different weaknesses so that they aren't seen as a you know a criticism within the action orientated roles there are shapers shapers are people who challenge the team to improve they're dynamic extroverted they question norms and they love problem solving they shake things up they see obstacles as exciting challenges and tend to have the courage to push, push on when others feel like quitting can be argumentative and hurt other people's feelings. And for me, the classic shapers would be Lillian and Linda. Um, and they really have shaped things in so many different roles. And, and I think it's, perhaps it's a feature of the writing, but 
it, it does annoy me that we forget so much. Lillian runs a very successful business and managed to do that even through everything that happened with Matt. You know, she's very dynamic and she shaped that business through a number of hurdles. So the implementer are people who, they get things done. They're given the ideas and concepts and they do the, the practical action and planning. They're quite frequently conservative, disciplined people who work systematically and efficiently. They're well organized. You can count on them to get things done, but they can be inflexible and res resistant to change. And if you haven't just heard me describe Adam, I, I didn't describe properly what an implementer is. <laughs> the last of the action roles are completer finishers. And one of the things I really like about Belbin is we're very used to seeing the chairperson is important or, or even the plant, you know, we must have the ideas person. We forget that a successful project, a successful family, a successful business, every role is important and as important as each other. Completer fin finishes are the people who see that projects are completed thoroughly. There's been no errors, no omissions. They pay attention to the small details. They're concerned with deadlines and they, they're conscientious. They're orderly. They're the complete opposite of myself. Without the complete finisher, jobs just don't get finished. It's a role that is very often overlooked. Their weaknesses and we worry unnecessarily. They're likely to be pessimistic. They find it very hard to delegate. And then we've got people-orientated roles. Coordinators are the ones who take on the traditional team leader role, often referred to as the chairperson. They guide the team to what they perceive are the objectives. They're often excellent listeners and are naturally able to recognize the value that each team member brings to the table. They're calm, they're good natured, they're able to delegate. And again, this is non-hierarchical. We're used to thinking as the coordinator is the most important person. But if you've just got a team full of coordinators, nothing will get done. Now, I was thinking for a while, and I actually think Linda is quite likely a coordinator. I know it says calm and good natured, but a lot of that spikiness we know, you know, comes from her own childhood. She she naturally is a listener. I mean, the beautiful scenes between her and Freddie, it's as if life has made her less good natured than she really would be. Um, because I think she she'd be an excellent coordinator. Oh, she is an excellent coordinator. Although I really I, I'm resisting looking at the chat because I really want to see who other people are suggesting for these. So the weakness of coordinators is they may tend to be manipulated, manipulative. The team workers. Team workers are the people who provide support and make sure that people within the team are working together effectively. Think of them as the glue that keeps the team together. They'll often be negotiators. You know, you've got these manipulative people, these conservative people, these people who 
don't like change, people throwing out ideas. And the teamwork is vital in that, in ensuring that people are listening to and talking to each other. They're flexible, diplomatic and perceptive. They tend to be popular people who are capable in their own right, but prioritise team cohesion and helping people get along. And I mean, that's Harrison to a T, who interestingly, you know, has gone into an ultimate team of the police. Um, and it, I think it, it shows his strengths. But the weaknesses, are, they tend to be indecisive, maintain uncommitted positions during discussions and decision making. And of course, never find the bunting. So that brings us to the thinking roles. Resource investigators. They're the, they're the innovative and curious people, but not about the sparking of the ideas. They explore available options. They develop the contacts. They negotiate for the resources on behalf of the team. They're enthusiastic team members rather than the introverts of the plants, but they'll do the contacts with other people helping the team accomplish its objective. They're outgoing and often extroverted meaning people are receptive to them and their ideas. On the downside, they may lose enthusiasm quickly and they're often overly optimistic. Like when they start scruff gin and decide, oh, you know, I can do something else next month. You know, and we see Toby's strengths and weaknesses very much described there. I, I really like Toby. I know a lot of people don't. I find Rex just... I don't know, you need to get slap. But <laughs> Toby really needs to be working for someone, odd as it sounds. He's got so many strengths, but he needs someone who, when he loses that enthusiasm or when he's being overly optimistic, brings him back down to earth, not with a bump, but with the realism that, that's often missing. It's, it's also one of the reasons that I don't think Toby and Pip ever worked. Um, because I think Pip is also... Well, then where would you have Pip? Well, I've put her as a specialist. People with specialist knowledge that's needed to get the job done. They pride themselves on their skills and abilities. They work to maintain their professional status. Um, they're the expert and they commit themselves to their area of expertise, but their biggest weaknesses is they get obsessed with technicalities at the expense of the bigger picture. You see, I'm not sure about that because she's so bloody indecisive. I think that her indecision is her biggest feature. Mm. Okay. Because I think specialists, well, they get bogged down in detail, but she just she just can't make a Well, she can't decide between the Fair Brothers, for example. She just can't <laughs> commit to a course of action. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. Specialists, you would think, would use the skills from the specialism to give them a fucking clue. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I'll no. back off here. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I really struggled with where to put Pip, and it's because it was because of her. She was so into. She has these moments with the, the dairy cattle where she seems to have that. It's the only thing I can see. And that's. That's what I was wondering about. But he definitely needs someone who, 
who is not only isn't indecisive, but who is much more realistic and not within the thinking. Yeah, Toby yeah, yeah. kind of needs a people person. No, a good yeah, he needs a rhythm. Hang on, am I still? Can you still hear me? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think I think he he needs a resource investigator and a complete finisher for his plantiness, and then you mm. might get a. Well, half the village needs a complete finisher. Hold on, you just described you and me, Nick. I don't I don't want anything to do with that business. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not putting myself forward for that. I'm sorry. But Anybody? I don't, you see, I don't think Karen, Toby, I think you should continue. <laughs> I don't think Toby's a plant. That's the thing. I think a lot oh, of people right, see him as a plant. He's a resource and he's a resource investigator because plants are introverts and he's not an introvert. He's he's an extrovert. Yeah. He would, so, yeah, I'll go on to plants. Plants are the creative innovator who comes up with new ideas and approaches. They thrive on pr praise. Um, and criticism is especially hard for them to deal with. They're often introverted and prefer to work apart from the team because their ideas are so novel, they can be impractical at times. They may be poor communicators and tend to ignore given parameters and constraints, which, which is why I think Toby's more of a resource investigator. They're innovative and curious. Um, and they've got some of that plantiness, new ideas, but it, it's not so much going off by yourself and doing the thing. So monitor evaluators, which is another thinking role. Monitor evaluators are best at analyzing and evaluating ideas that other people often plants come up with. These people are shrewd and objective and they carefully weigh the pros and cons of all options before coming to a decision. They are critical thinkers and very strategic in their approach. They're often perceived as detached or unemotional. Sometimes they are poor motivators who react to events rather than instigating them. And this is, of course, Peggy, which I, I do like the fact that you know Peggy is being um, symbolised there by the all-seeing eye watching over the village because that's very much how I see her. It's, um, I think Hilda probably has little chips in her so she can listen to everything going on in the village. We've already touched on specialists, and I'm going to tell you what Nick said because I, I did struggle with Pip, but I think that it's partly because script writers have thrown stuff into a life that just wouldn't be there, you know. Um, specialists are people who have specialist knowledge that's needed to get the job done. They pride themselves on their skills and abilities and their work to maintain their professional status. Their job within the team is to be an expert in the area, and they commit themselves fully to their field of expertise. This may limit their contribution and lead to a preoccupation with technicalities at the expense of the bigger picture. I mean, especially as I was much more sure on his Neil, and I think he, he shows the strengths and the weaknesses of it. Um, you know, put him with pigs. And he is very, very happy. He's, while specialist is within a thinking field, he, he's quite an action-orientated person. And I don't think in terms of management, he's ever been handled that well because he, he could do bigger picture. And that's part of the thing about Belbin, you know, managers are meant to be able to look at the people on their team, identify what was called allowable weaknesses and go, okay, how, how do we 
grow and develop this person, not how do we put horrible Hannah in charge of them and make their life hell. So let's make this a little bit more specific. So I wanted to make Belbin a bit more real than just me labeling who I thought everyone was, especially because I think we could just have the most brilliant 12 hour discussion of, oh, but what about this person for that role? And look at two businesses within Ambridge. One is Bridge Farm and the other is The Bull. One slightly more successful than the other. Um, one constantly seeming to, to need to um, find a new way to make money. So people can and do have to double up on teams. But the all the bull has is, is Kenton and Jolene, which is it's basically two plants. You know, if if we go back, if we think, you know, think about what plants are, the creative innovators who come up with new ideas and approaches, thriving on praise, but criticism's hard for them to deal with. Kenton. Plants are have such novel ideas they can be impractical at times and they tend to ignore given parameters and constraints and I think that's both Jolene and Kenton and it's part of the reason that the bull struggles so much which is not to dismiss you know the pub industry is very hard to be in at the moment and of course we've got the pandemic but even before this they were they were struggling Part of part of the problem is that they don't have any of these other roles. I think Frida would have been an implementer, um, you know, in there in the kitchen, making sure that the food came out. I think Fallon very possibly is a resource investigator, and Lillian, you know as a coordinator or possibly an implementer. Because as I said before, people can have more than one role in a different team. Lillian's role is different here to um, running her property companies. But it's kind of shrunk down to just being Kenton and Jolene. You know, and we have idea after idea after idea. We had Freddie doing raves in the flood bar. Pardon me. Freddie doing raves in the flood bar. Peacocks wandering around the place. This this thing with the naughty milkman is just... I've been quite astonished by the fact these two people are meant to be professional businessmen. Um this is why, if, if if you remember the group, you will see that I put up earlier in the week. I had fun looking for pictures of half-naked men. That is actually a photo of Jacob. I was able to contact Kate and ask for a couple. So um, it's idea after idea after idea, none of which ever seem to have any medium or long-term planning. I mean, what is the point of the naughty milkman? They want to increase their delivery sales. Okay, well, 
what are you doing with that side of the business? You know, was there anything other than, oh, I've had an idea, which originally wasn't talking about the milk tray man. Um, and again, with the flood bar, they, they got the money to renovate it. They got Freddie in, hopefully just DJing. Have they turned that into a function room? Could people do like weddings there? Over at Brookfield, they've turned a barn into a wedding venue. In a pub, which you might think was considering that kind of stuff, they've had the flood bar open, closed, open, closed, forgotten about, it seems. And this is what happens when you have two plants running things. You know, some of their ideas are impractical. They don't always communicate well. You know, I I do not understand what the point of the naughty milkman is meant to be. And they tend to ignore given parameters and constraints. So my argument is that the bull, even without the pandemic, would continue to struggle financially because the team is so unbalanced. Now, I'm not a, a coach or, you know, that kind of management side is not my area of expertise. But were they to get someone in other than Justin's really annoying friend, they actually need to be sat down and, and told, you need some balance here. I mean, what, what I think they've needed for a long time is a proper manager running the place. And they'd have to make really sure that it, it wasn't another thought-orientated role. They're fine on that. They need someone from the the action side, most likely a completer finisher, to actually take an idea from the beginning to it, it, its final concrete actions. And there's something here that's quite useful to think about, Belbin, as well, which is often we're in small teams, often there's only two or three of you. If you know your own Belbin role and you know your weakness, someone doesn't actually have to be a member of your team to be helpful. This is where friends, family, partners, you know, can be really useful. I know I have too many ideas, so I run them past my friends because I run my own business. I don't have a team of people. And I've got good friends who go, that's a great idea. Well, yeah, okay, but you're already working 300 hours a week and got around 12 projects you don't have time to. Really, Karen? Because I know my weakness and I know what I might need to ask people will this work or not. And if Kenton wasn't such a pig-headed person, he could turn to his family for some of this stuff. Virtually everyone in the arch, everyone of the archers clan has some part in running, managing or owning a business. And Kenton and Jolene could turn to them and say, I've had another idea. What do you think? You know, you're really good at, this aspect or that aspect, and that's my weakness. I don't see it happening, though. 
let's look. Yeah, so too many plants leads to a proliferation of weeds and no one at the bowl is doing the weeding. So let's look at Brookfield. They complain a lot about money, but actually they're doing okay. The team is more, more balanced and the plants aren't running the show. We've got action-orientated roles. We've got like a completed finisher like David. We've got a plant in Josh. Um, we've got a monitor evaluator in Ruth. We've got lots of different roles contributing. And even though I hate to say it because I'd like to say Jill is actually the, um, is there to show us that life fundamentally is suffering in pain. She is the chairperson. She's the coordinator. She, she does make sure that the house runs smoothly. And I'm saying that through gritty teeth. But my argument would be is why something like the wedding plans kind of half-heartedly and half-fast done as they are will probably turn into another successful arm of Brookfield is because they have a balanced team. Is they have different skills and to a degree are aware of some of their weaknesses. You know, it would be really good to sit down with them and get them to do Belbin and to get them to understand a bit more what people's weaknesses and strengths were. But they do know that to a degree. Hearing David this week was hilarious. <laughs> Am I just farming, farming, farming? And I, I think the script writers were having a bit of dig at some of us who, you know, claim David is a bit dull. But within the team, that's useful. You know, you, you, you point him at a cow and he knows what he's doing. So, now, what, Nick, can I ask a question? I've got a little bit on love languages and what I was wondering, would people like to chat a bit about this and then I do love languages? Or do I go straight into love languages and then we do all the chat at the end? I'm I happy think, either I think way. People, people are, the, the chat's quite active. <laughs> the thing is, I've got a thing about love languages. You know, I've got some phrases that ring in my head with a song and love languages is a Justin Timberlake song. <laughs> 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 Baby, when you're with me, <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. Love, I don't know. Um, uh, sorry, everybody, I'm having a bit of a moment here. No, um, karaoke is fine. I like karaoke. Um, can I get a sense from the room if we want to chat about the Belbin stuff, or do you want... I, I think we should just carry on, because otherwise we, we risk doing loads of chat and then not getting to the love All right, languages. push on. Press yeah. on, Karen. Love languages. Baby, when yeah. you're me... It's really... Or we just do academic art, just karaoke, whichever. So part of the reason I'm just leaving that there is I, I really, 
I want to hear other people's views, especially because, you know, people who've listened for longer or who've reacted to people in different ways might think that, you know, actually, you know, Ruth's a shaper or David's a complete finisher. So I'm just going to leave that then. We'll, we'll discuss what, what you think after. I put the love languages in to kind of balance out with the start. So at the start, I was very much, you know, big health warning. Don't take these too seriously. You know, take what you need from it. Don't listen to it because, you know, not scientifically validated. All very true. Then you come to the love language test, which annoyingly should not work. It was just one person had been a marriage counselor for 25 years, came up with something that they thought would be a useful tool. And you're kind of like, yeah, 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 you know, I've done the BuzzFeed quiz, you know, I know which shit's quick character I should be. The thing is that time after time after time, the love language test works mm. and it's really, really interesting. Mm. Um, so what it was was this guy noticed that so many of the disagreements between couples coming to his couples counselling were because one person thought they were showing their love to the other person and actually there was a miscommunication going on. Um, so you imagine, you know, Peter and Jane wake up, they've discovered they're in tier three, they're both a bit mm, needing to feel a, bit, a little bit of love from each other. Jane's love language is touch. She needs a hug. Peter's love language is act of service. Peter looks out the window and thinks, God, all those autumn leaves. He looks at Jane, thinks, oh, she's having a rough day. I know, I'll go outside and I'll clear all those leaves up and she'll look out the window and think, oh yeah, it's not so bad. And look, it's all nice and tidy in the garden now. Whereas Jane sits on the sofa getting more and more peed off because she really wants a hug. She looks out the window and like, mm. look at him out in the garden, just like getting on with stuff. You know, doesn't he know I'm sad? Peter comes in and, you know, full of pride. He's tidied the garden. Jane will be happy. He's done a lovely thing. Thanks. Oh, what I'd really like now is a cup of tea. Because his love language is act of service, what he's really thinking is, Jane, make me a cup of tea. Show me you love me because I've tidied the garden. Except Jane is now furious on the sofa because she spent all morning wanting a hug, being ignored. Huge row, you know. Neither of them probably even knows why they're rowing. And it does happen over and over again. I mean, one of the infuriating things for love languages for me is you know, the guy is you know, very heteronormative. It, he was a Christian counsellor. The whole site is, you know, full of Mr. and Mrs. and this and that and the other. It, it works for queer couples. It, it works for friendships. It works for platonic relationships. It's infuriating, but fascinating. And so I had a little look in the same way as, um, as we did for... Um, the Belbin roles, I was thinking, who are the couples that work? Who are the couples that don't? Is there something going on here with local languages? Oh, and at the side, and I can send everyone the slides, is the 
link for this and this this test's free yeah um if anyone is interested my love language is touch um but yeah you just go to the site pop in um a couple of bits of information about yourself they probably track loads of cookies and whatever but you don't have to pay to find out what it is there so and i just thought about a few different couples i mean neil and susan and not only do I think they're the best parents in Ambridge, but they're, they're one of the most functional, healthy marriages. And I think that's because one of the reasons is that the love language for both of them is acts of service. I know it's, we think of Susan in words, but actually, what did she do when she found out Alice was pregnant? What does she do when she wants to spend an evening with Neil? She makes the chili. Neil built a house for them, which is probably the biggest act of service you can imagine. Because they have complete, well, they have the same love language. They, they work well together. They both feel loved. Alice and Chris, and I was thinking about this, I think it's quality time. And I think that's part of the reason the excrements hit the fan for Alice um, during lockdown. It, it was doing things together was how they showed love to each other. And yes, they've had lots of time together. But they haven't had that quality time. And Brian and Jennifer, who, you know, should they be together? I mean, it, it's been quite beautiful recently with, with Rory, but realistically i think she should have left him a long time ago and i think their love languages are really out of sync brian is i was trying to work this out and i'd like to hear other people's he's either physical touch or affirmation but i'm wondering if the physical touch is just he's a randy old goat he, he does use words a lot but jennifer wants acts of service she wants him to show that he loves her not say that he loves her and part of the reason that they've ended up hurting each other over and over again and I've wondered as well the other way around Brian chooses to stray but if his love language is affirmations did he hear enough that he was loved from Jennifer but and again, I, you know, I think we could definitely talk lots about the different people in the different love languages there. It's just to go through its gifts, acts of service, touch, words of affirmation and quality time. And that's just, if you're interested, I'm on Twitter as Cancelling Cars. Counselling Karen is largely pictures of Northumberland countryside for my walking therapy that Nick mentioned earlier. So if you're into pretty pictures of Northumberland, that's on my Instagram. And now I really, really want to hear what you all think, because this definitely has been really my don't most... don't want to hear what we all think, because the chat has become filth of a kind of horrific <laughs> level. Be <laughs> filth! <laughs> That was absolutely brilliant. Uh, thank you. Claps, 
all round. I think one of the things that's fascinating about this kind of insight stuff is that some people just will never get it. So as a result, you know, if um, so, I was just thinking in the in the work context, you know, you do a Belbin exercise and everyone tries to pretend they're not trying to be the highest status thing and all the rest of it. There's all that they're meant to be equal. Yeah, that I know. Well, that's that's exactly it. But there is no equality in in any any in you know full stop. So so anyway, so um, but but yeah for people that are more self-aware it's a painful process because you're like for god's sake but for people that aren't in that kind of headspace at all or haven't had therapy or just kind of aren't academic archers for example they maybe never have thought about their effect on anybody else and my just my my absolutely best friend had like a horrific screaming nervous breakdown when she had postpartum psychosis and she was um hospitalized and she said at the end that the, the revelation of this horrific breakdown was that nobody really knows the effect they have on other people. Not really. They don't genuinely kind of, um, you can try and calibrate it, you can try and you know, work out sort of depend, dependency and all the rest of it. But people that drain your energy don't know they're draining you. And people that really lift you up don't know they're lifting you up. Um, and I think that that's what gets really interesting is when, and it's the same point from the workplace put into the love languages stuff, because again, yeah, of course, all five love languages are created equal, but they're not. And where love languages hit emotional labor, that's where it gets tricky, right? Because, and I guess I'll shut up in a sec, but um, does everyone else watch Line of Duty? There was a, what, they started a series where Tandy Newton came back from Hollywood to be a cop in Line of Duty. And in that first scene, when they were setting her up, it's like, I'm a police person and I'm going out to work again late at night. And her script went, I'm just off to work, blah, 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 on the phone to her husband. I put the bins out and I laughed out loud. And John was like, why are you laughing? And I just said, oh, welcome back from Hollywood, darling this is the kind of drama you wanted to be doing, like chat about the bins. John was like, oh, I thought she really loves him because she's telling him she's put the bins out. And I was literally like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and you learned something. <laughs> exactly. We've, we've all learned something this morning. But that, that's exactly it. And again, the, the bins becomes this massive, you know, it's an act of service. It's, it becomes a thing, you know, but again, because emotional labors are not created equal, that's where the problem comes is because, as I say, some elements are higher status. So if you, the book, the chapter in the book that I've realized that not everybody has seen, um, not everybody has seen the new, everybody's chapters, but I talk about kin keeping with the matriarchs because I realized that I'd never actually, um, really explained why I find it so un uncomfortable how they manipulate everybody. And the acts of kin keeping, some of them look like love language stuff, as in I have the round robin, I hold the family Bible or whatever, but the controlling and manipulative and negative side is inherent within the actual behavior. Do you see what I mean? So yeah. sorry, that was all a bit of a long rant about bins and friends and things, but yes, fabulous paper. And as I say, as you can imagine, the I tell you what is interesting is um, that sort of frisson when you're trying to, to sort people. So say we all struggle with Pip because really she's not shown as particularly capable. Her doing side isn't really very well developed. <laughs> I 
think I struggled partially because Pip as was and then Pip as Rosie's mum and the Fairbrothers. And I understand they were, I mean, it was for the... it was for the anniversary that they wanted to bring the Fairbrothers back in it. I mean, it, it was so obvious, but and I obviously, obviously, women still get pregnant and things happen. But I, I just, she was. Let's design the twenty first century milking parlor. I'm, I'm really obsessed with my work. I've been to university. I really want to. Be, and I thought the really interesting way it was going to go was that the eldest girl was going to demand the farm. The mm. other two weren't interested. The farm should go to me, you know, Dan roll, rolling in his grave because, you know, the girl's getting the farm. And instead they gave her babies. And that I think that's why, because she was one thing very much so. Mm, I think you're right. I think they've definitely struggled. But then on the other hand, I think the scriptures would say that... The, the most important thing is Pip and the future of the farm, I guess. It's just feeling a bit unsatisfactory she, at the moment. She could have stayed non-fertile and still had... She could be a Debbie, right? She could have been a Debbie. Um, yeah. But then um, they gave her this weird loop. Yeah, I agree. The fair brethren being... Good point, Helen. No reason she can't run the farm and have children. But I think what, I think what Karen means is, like, yeah, like... Like a Debbie, Debbie could have children, but she'd still be Debbie. Well, all right, that's another. Let's just leave that right there. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So um, the, the the chat is full of I don't even know what, including drunken squirrels, Bert Fry, the stripper. I mean, let's let's. What? Let's, uh, exactly. Can, can we, yeah, I don't I need to explain how we got there. Um, so, people of the world, would you like to uh, offer some some thoughts about either love languages in the village or Belbin roles um, and maybe challenge some of Karen's um, categories if you'd like to or just say any other nonsense that's on your mind. I, I do hope to challenge your notion that the Brookfield Arches are somewhat self-aware. <laughs> I'm um, not sure I, I said they're self-aware, they're I'm... just a more balanced team. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I can, I'll let you yeah I, I can agree with that but yeah I did scoff and so did some in the chat um, at the, the the level of self-awareness that you're attributing to that Brookfield lot <laughs> yeah yeah imagine that I've had them for like family group therapy for 12 years except Jill because of course you know the conflict of interest there but after 12 what, years you of, hate her? yeah <laughs> What um what character type does Rosie need to be to either you know fit in or or to really you know put the cat amongst the pigeons in that well, she needs to be competent, right? Well, she does. Yeah, I mean that would be something. But what do you think, Karen? What's what's the future for Rosie, or what could be you know good drama future for Rosie? I think the real cat upon the, among the pigeons there would be if if there was another chairperson, because mm. no one's ever really challenged Jill. I suppose mm. age-wise, that's not that's not really going to work because Rosie's this mm. too long a gap. But that would there will be a gap 
when Jill goes. Um, Is Abby Pattenden on the call? Because she also absolutely hates Jill. She's she gets apoplectic about it, and I'm not sure if she's here this morning. But she was the first, she was the first person I met who kind of really got the boot in. And once you've seen it, you can't unsee it. Although I did get into some trouble, as we all know, at the at the Hay Festival when I unloaded on the matriarchs in front of essentially a thousand of the matriarchs. So that was bad. <laughs> um, so, and you're absolutely right. I mean, you see it all the time. And and um, something else that I find absolutely fascinating, there is another, there's, so, so hang on. Was it Sarah Kate that just said she did her, her, where are I did Myers-Briggs for a work thing. And one of my friends said, it didn't seem like me. I did it again with my not at work head on and it was the complete opposite. Mm. Like the point about situational awareness, that's, that's, that's what kind of what it's for, isn't it? Like you, you put your your most competent head on um, for important things like your hobbies and your home life, and then you're just a complete mess at work. Or that's how I that's how I roll. <laughs> I was just thinking. I know what I know what they need and what would be useful for Rosie to be, which is a shaper, someone who actually challenges the team to improve. You know, because they they can be quite complacent i suppose because they've not had it haven't been hasn't been an invasion of dragons or a, you know every time you think there's going to be anything that shakes the farm and they're okay gosh that's very interesting um so gary gilday has this depressing possibility for us do you want to speak to it gary because i can't find it in the chat now the chat's moving too fast. Um, I can't remember fully what I said. Are you talking but, about Wade's no, I, I just said, I, I think, I'll just read it out. I, I think that most people are blissfully unaware of the roles that other people have decided that they fulfil. It's only the people at the top that overthink these things, and surely most people are just plodding along relentlessly waiting for the cheque at the end of the month. And they don't give a damn about whether they're a thinker or an achiever or a doer because it's utterly irrelevant to what they do. They've got more important things to care about. They're mm -hmm. just doing a job. They're just mm -hmm. wanting toast <laughs> at the end of the month, if they're lucky. <laughs> it's a really good point. And this is definitely the sort of, you know, it's definitely a highly kind of bourgeois management-y horrible kind of com convoluted thing you're right about self-awareness and I do I, I challenge that slightly though because I mean good leadership matters anyway I, I was just thinking so a, a friend of mine has been involved with converting um a famous manufacturer of posh coats into making PPE for the NHS and they had to get the teams from the late, and it is all ladies, he'd normally sew the coats mm. and work out how to convert it. Now, that's the kind of good leadership that you need to know, okay, who is the completer finisher? I mean, Gary's right that those ladies might just be thinking, great, we're not on furlough, we're actually getting mm. shed loads of overtime. For those who don't realise, in the northeast, we're quite used to government competence, so they went, there isn't any PP, we'll make our own. Mm. So... um. Burberry are now making PPE in a car in a car showroom, which mm. was just the odd 
conflation of different stuff. But to get that to happen really quickly back in March, you needed to know which women from the sewing machines could be shapers, resource orientators, completer finishers, because you were building a, a PPE factory from scratch. So yes, maybe they were just thinking about getting their wages, but the people managing them had to think, okay, you know, if we get Jane in and Jenny, they'll be really useful for starting this off because I know their strengths and weaknesses. But then this is back to the point, which is that none of these things land in neutral resource territory, right? So the, yeah. so we said in the chat that um, universities are full of plants whose job is to kind of put down completed finishes or, you know, it's, it's seen as a sort of definitely sit there's a, there's a complete snobbery about, you know, I'm just, I'm in the world of ideas and, you know, you people grubbing around for grant money. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Just, I mean, like the, these things hit structures of inequality under which none, no, neither the love language stuff nor the career stuff hit are, are equivalent, you know, or commensurate with each other. They are like, they hit both an emotional labor that's calibrated some ways and they hit a kind of work context where some behaviors are rewarded more than others. I always remember they used to say about the LSE that, you know, they were picking people who they wanted to pick at 40. And in, in a way that's terrible. You know, you're basically getting a bunch of incredibly planty plants. Mm -hmm and waited to see if any of the seeds survive for 25, 30 years. And yeah. you think, well, what happens to all the other ones? Yeah, that's right. Not, not always great. And, and again, you know, I just, and, and you know, my his, historic concerns are always about the way that power is hoarded in the village or anywhere else. And, um, just something about the about esteem not being shared equally is the thing that I really think underpins, you know, as I say, if <laughs> I like the thing. So um, Gareth saying that he went to some councillor thing, 15 out of 16 got the ENTJ kind of, oh, really, I'm the kind of commander role. And then they all had a beer and were like, I, I was just filling in what I thought I should say. <laughs> you know? And that's, I mean, we're so used to psychological testing now that I, I don't think anyone goes into it with exactly the same kind of purity, if that's not a loaded term, as they might have done 30 or 40 years ago. Definitely. And it's, this is exactly the point is that, yeah, like the first time you do you do it, like, an, like a Myers-Briggs or something, you're like, wow, that's amazing. Same as the horoscope. And the horoscope analogy is perfect, right? Because... If you feel if you feel like I would like to explain why I'm a ball breaker, like oh yes, it's all in the stars, you know, it's it's um, it, it just it all depends on the faith with which you, you know, how you rate the explanatory framework that that they are, and yeah, they're as random as each other. And if oh, you, it's defining, if you approve of the weaknesses, mm. you know, I don't mind stubbornness is a gold pig I, that's perfectly fine because i don't mind being described as stubborn 
Mm. But for someone else, that might really, you know, for whatever reason, I might trigger something in them that that is absolutely the worst. So, of course, the whole stuff's hokum. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting about stubbornness because I'm, I'm a Leo too, Karen. So, obviously, we are the chosen lucky ones in yeah, the world to be Leos, of course. Um, that's the time, obviously. But uh, somebody, you know, one person we're having a similar sort of conversation as this in, in, you know, in a management meeting the other week. And one person said that I was really committed and dedicated and really tenacious. The other one said they were scared of you. Yeah. When they were, when I was standing up for what I believed in. And then of course, some, and I said, Jakey said, well, that's just because I'm really stubborn. <laughs> and I don't necessarily think, so it's such a subjective thing. And I've done all the Myers-Briggs tests before at different stages in my career. And they've been different. I can't remember any of them, but they've been useful as a kind of, just in a way of, of like a tarot card being a metaphor into a reading of the situation. Mm. That's where they've been useful, but I've never taken them as the absolute truth on who I am either. I was going to say about the love languages, though, it's just, I've just thought about this. This is a really difficult one for the ones of Ambridge because they all speak over each other all the time. So their lack of communication verbally is going to be really hampered, isn't it? No matter what type you are. But then mm. I guess because they're always walking to deliver messages to each other, there's maybe some touch potential going on there. Um, and there's lots of acts of service going on in terms of baking and that kind of thing. So how possible is it really to do the love languages in Ambridge when they're all so weird? <laughs> I, I, part of the reason it was very much put on at the end was I think it's, it was my way to say that much as I think you should take all tests with a pinch of salt, some of them can be useful. But I, I was with you because the, functional happy relationships where people are either their love languages match and they don't mm. need to think about it or their love languages don't match but they've gone away and thought about it don't make for good drama so you know you're not going to get as many of them I still do think Neil and Susan are both acts of service though and it, it's I think it's just chance they mm. they work I think it's that but that is fascinating because um, as someone was saying in the chat earlier on, like it's, it's it's true. All relationships have that, you know. So have that thing about what is considered to be so. It's, so that the transaction. So you know, you might have a friend who sends a lot of presents or sends a lot of cards, and it's been interesting in lockdown because. Yeah, I've been that person basically. I want everyone to you think have, that you're thinking you of them. You very much have, but all the cards are still out because <laughs> they were so lovely. But that's kind of it. I feel like, yeah, I feel like it. Like you need to sort of circulate a bit of the kind of goodness or hope that people will feel. You know, I don't know. It's interesting to reflect in the pandemic, kind of how having. And you're right, Karen. Having had quality time removed. Are you then playing like a weaker hand or are you having, you know what I mean? Like, it's, I'm not like, I'm not massive into gifting in general, but what I would rather do is have quality time. And now that's taken away from me, then you're just going to get cards in the post, which is why I'm actively seeking everyone's 
addresses for academic archers Christmas cards too because I've really appreciated all of you this year so you're going to get shit in the post it's just the way it's just the way I show my love that that to me though is is interesting in another way because I think sometimes what we need to be aware of is self-love languages maybe you're spending quality time with yourself when you do the cards Mm. and so if we're not if we're not feeling great about ourselves, knowing what our love language is and going, okay, let's not try and get this from other people. Hard with touch, but possible, but it's 11.45 in the morning. But, you know, if, 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 you're, if you feel good about gifts and you're feeling um, like you don't love yourself, maybe you need to go out and buy yourself something nice, which isn't to say that will work every time, but I think it's really helpful because we can't always expect other people to be to able. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that that love languages are much more about this is going to give me a boost, right? So as you say, you're a touch person, so you want to touch, you want to be touched or everybody on the chat please just back off in <laughs> or you're gonna have to touch yourself perhaps one of the ways some people have made it through that down with a few more spoons than other people is because they were a bit more aware of okay how, how do I feed my own self-love right now for whatever reason mm. And of course, it's right. time, resources, money, energy to no good knowing that what you need is words of affirmation and you've absolutely no way of accessing that. Mm. I'm sorry that I, I thought I had my mic on so you'd have heard me take my delivery and shout That's all right. Don't worry. We, we, it's all part of life, you know. <laughs> sorry, that was very important. Don't worry, we're it's not a load of presents from me this week. <laughs> yeah, I'm mindful of time because we're coming up to, to an hour and a half. Are there any last questions for Karen? And then I think we should probably just open it up to just general chat. I mean, we can sort of continue on this this topic, of course, but um, if there's any burning questions. I just what I was wondering, people that we hadn't heard from, is it because the you've you've not used these kind of tools and techniques because they feel like they're quite mainstream and they're sort of in the world. Was the theory part new to anybody, or was that, you know, to me, or, or is it just kind, of, you know, you're never quite sure what if people are coming from a base of, I've never heard of it, that sounds quite interesting, or I'm not an ENTJ. Do you know what I mean? It like, depends on kind of if you've been exposed to this kind of categorization before. I must say, actually, the only I've I've been thinking quite a lot in lockdown as well about people that you really can't get on with and don't like and what that says about yourself and so I've sort of compiled a sort of theory well not a theory but a list people who I hate <laughs> and it turns out that they are literally only the ex-partners of people I love like that's the only way you can get on that list but one person I hate was a woman and it was who was my um Oh God, is this, is, this, is this a recording? Oh yeah, okay. So, so somebody- Do you want me who, to stop the recording? Shall I stop Yeah, maybe, because I'm just, I'm just spouting now. I wouldn't want this to be- <laughs> So we, we can, whoever listens to the podcast, we can just leave them on this absolute- <laughs> Of who Nicola really hates. 
And I can imagine the conversation we'll be having continuing maybe over dinner this evening about this as well. So, Karen, thank you very much. Thank you, everybody, for brilliant chat. I'm glad to see you all next week. So, so 